If you would, open your Bibles again to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read the passage again because that gets me good and fired up, not because Gary read it poorly, but it's for my benefit, maybe more than for yours, but I want to draw your attention back to this because it's so easy to be distracted and to forget what was just read. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You, therefore, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Before I move from that verse, I want to say something real quick. Everything that will be said hereafter is built upon the basis of what was said in chapter 1. He established a a common ground, a firm footing of his relationship with Timothy. And he is hearkening back to that when he says, therefore. And then when he says, my son, he's also reminding us of the nature of the relationship That he has with Timothy. That we are privy to because we're reading his mail. We're jumping back into this. And for us who are reading it now all these years removed from it. Let me just say this. What I'm going to say is directed at Christians. Uh, It is directed at those who seek to follow Christ with their life. That is chapter 1 if you will. Before we go further. Now. Going back to the verse. It says be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which we have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, for its sufficiency for it gives us all we need for life and godliness. May we be able to amen that and then apply that and live such truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is it to be strong? As a man, this is largely, in many ways, one of the central questions that men wrestle around with. What is it to be strong? Quite often we would think of the biggest, strongest guy around. If that would be true, then the power lifters of the world are the strongest men on the planet. Now they would love to have that really hung around their neck and they they get little trophies for it, actually huge trophies for it, and they lift huge weights to prove it. But is that truly strong? I would uh, sincerely doubt that anybody who knows the life of Paul, for example, would think that uh, some of the... I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Half Thor. He's a big guy, huge man, deadlifted over 1,100 pounds, which is insane. That's a motorcycle on the ground, just lifted it straight off the ground. Huge man. But if you know much about the man who seems to be a good man, he's a nice man anyway, uh, that's good because otherwise he would be killing villages of people if you're that large and strong. But I would never think of him as as strong as the Apostle Paul. The, the strength and the fortitude that the Apostle Paul had to endure all that he did is absolutely shocking to me. As I've studied his life and, and dug into what he went through and what he was willing to go through over and over again. It's, in, it's incredible. Who goes from town to town getting thrown up? Getting beat up? Being attacked by any, any number of people? Never knowing exactly what might happen next? And then... With all of that, as we might even see it today, PTSD from the last town he was in, he goes to another city and does it again. 
right? He gets beaten to death, they think, with rocks. And if you know about stoning in this era, they would throw somebody down a ravine, hopefully breaking their neck was the goal, and then they would grab rocks of roughly this size and throw them down on the person's head and body and try to destroy them. And they did that to Paul, and they thought he was dead. He wasn't dead. Paul apparently just shrugs it off. I'm sure he didn't just wipe it off like I just did. I'm sure there was a lot of severe pain in his body. And he went on and he did it again. He gets imprisoned and he, and he doesn't stop and he does it again. Amazing. That speaks to a strength that I think if I'm Timothy and I'm following Paul around, it would be real easy to get a little gun shot. Like, I want to follow Christ, but I don't know about those rocks in the head thing, Paul. You know, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't know about that Roman prison cell, which is nothing like a modern prison cell. Typically, a, a Roman prison cell would have an upper floor with some people on top, guards or whatever, and then they would open up a pit, pull off the lid, and they would throw you down in this thing, and there you reside among other people hoping to survive. If nobody brought you food, you die. And if you're Timothy, you've had a front row seat to what that looks like. Sometimes we idolize the big job. Sometimes we, we look up and we think, you know, I wish I could be president. <laughs> I don't know if you're really thinking that right now or not, but I, I wish I could be the leader of the company. I wish I could have this, that, and the other. But if you've sat back long enough, maybe in the vice president's office, you can look up at what the president's doing and go... Yeah, maybe not. If you get a long enough view of what that looks like, man, that could really make you hesitate. So if you're Paul and you're trying to encourage Tim in his walk and his faith, I find it really interesting that we don't find a ton of soft words coming to him. We don't find any coddling. We don't find any, I don't know, um, of the soft chatter that we have gotten so used to in our culture today. Instead, what we find is a strength and a fortitude. We would find even a, what the world might call today toxic masculinity from Paul here. He knows that Timothy's wavering a bit. He knows he's vacillating a bit. He's had a long enough view of ministry to get a clear enough picture to go, I'm not real sure. And then Paul tells him, Timothy, my son, be strong. What does strength actually look like? That's what he's going to explain as we go through. I understand whenever we use a big profound word like be, or a phrase like be strong, that such a phrase has an ability to take on a life of its own. We can use it in a vague way so that the, the listener can use that in their preferred interpretation. For example, hope and change. Remember that one? 2008, Obama comes rolling down the road. He says, hope and change. And people are like, yes! Hope and change in what? I'm not telling you yet. I'll let you know when we get there. You know, I, I throw out a big word, hope. Everybody can resonate with hope. Change. Yeah, Sure. Whatever. But without adding content to that, there was no way to really argue. Paul gives us content 
with what he's saying. He gives us something to wrestle around with. And I find it really interesting that one of the, fir- the first thing he brings up in his discussion with Timothy about being strong is, Timothy, find your replacement. Did you notice that? Verse 2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. A strong person, a truly strong person, is not intimidated by the up-and-comer. Somebody who's truly strong, especially in Christ here, recognizes, look, I only live so long. And this is not some weird kind of dictatorship. Uh, This is a a process where we always have to hand off the faith to the next generation. We have to find the the guys who are willing to teach, the, the men who are showing themselves to be desiring the office of an elder. And test them. See what, see what they're made of. Have an intern or two at your church. Why not? We've got four. Have some, some awareness, some self-awareness, if you're strong, to recognize you don't last that long. And you need to replace yourself. Interesting. I think that speaks to humility. I think that speaks to, as I said, a... A Godward perspective rather than you're building your own little kingdom type of perspective. But the part where I want to spend a whole lot more time, it's fun for me, is verse 3. Now he shifts and fills out more of what being strong looks like. He says, suffer hardship with me. And as I painted the picture earlier of the life of the Apostle Paul, which you can read in various uh, texts. You can go through Acts. You can look at 2 Corinthians when he, deline- he you know, elaborates on how he suffered When he says that, Timothy knows what he means. He's seen the scars. It's one thing to hear a story down the line or hear somebody on YouTube talk about their suffering or whatever, but for them to be your friend, for them to be your mentor, and for them to show you the scars or for you to stand there and witness it, that's different. This is an interesting advertising ploy, isn't it? Suffer hardship with me. That's not the typical message that I think brings in the crowd. But think for a minute here about your own life and situation. We all naturally gravitate towards what? Easy. We all naturally gravitate towards comfort and convenience. Convenience is king. I mean, all these Random stores have figured this out, haven't they? I was at Best Buy the other day, of all places, and you, we, Edwin and I are buying some wires to make things work, you know. So we go up there to buy wires, and that entire area, it looks like a movie theater. Remember, you know, the movie theater, if you've been to one of those. Uh, you walk, and there's the concession stand. That's what Best Buy looked like. There was all kinds of food items up there. Why? And they're way overpriced. And they were sold out, actually. Like everything was gone. I actually commented to the lady behind the counter about it and all. Why is it that these things sell even though they're wildly overpriced? Convenience. That's how we are. If it's more convenient, I'll do it. And as much as people might rail against Amazon and hate what it's doing to small business, most of us still use Amazon. Why? Convenient. It's easy. It was fantastic last year to buy almost every Christmas gift on Amazon. It was nice. It all just came to the door. Didn't have to do much of anything. Didn't have to go out and deal with crowds and all of that. It was convenient. 
And that's a natural human inclination to drift towards comfortable living. But comfortable living only works in the short run, doesn't it? It's easy to not brush or floss. It's easier. I'm tired. I don't feel like doing it. I don't know if Dewar's here, but he's a dentist. He might disagree with that. I don't know. Maybe he's... But it's easy to not brush or floss in the moment. It's easy to not exercise. Don't you love not exercising? Don't you love not running on a treadmill? Don't you love not like sweating your brains out in a, in a weight room with a bunch of stinky dudes? Don't you love that? I mean, that's fantastic to not do that, to, to not eat good food. So easy. If Priscilla's gone, I eat garbage. <laughs> if she doesn't like make the food, put it in the pot, right, Eric? If she doesn't make the whole thing and put it out, then I'm going to eat cereal and Pop-Tarts and peanut butter and jelly and chips. And my kids can nod, right? Yep. I might make some eggs if I'm feeling real, you know, itchy. But that's it. It's easy to not eat good food. It's incredibly easy to spend my money as soon as it comes in. It's so easy, just blowing through money like it's nothing. So simple, so easy to not save. Another thing, it's not as funny, it's so easy to not discipline your kids. It's so easy to let them do kind of what they want and to not be consistently saying no. Who wants to be the parent who has to consistently say no? Who wants to be the one that that brings pain into their life for sinful consequence over and over and to do it consistently? It's so easy to not do it. Like so many other things, it's so easy, so convenient. You know, I just, the kids will be kids, It'll it'll be all right. But, my friend, you are just delaying your hard, your hard road. You've just put it off to a different day. You stop brushing and flossing, how's that going to work out for you? You know, you stop exercising, you stop even paying attention to what you're eating and on and on. You stop disciplining your kids, how's that going to work out? It might work in the moment, it might work for a week, it might work for a month. But I guarantee you, God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. So all you're doing, really, is delaying the hard thing you need to do. Not only that, but we have various scriptures that paint this picture very clearly for us. The way of the sinner is hard. It's hard. The the book of Proverbs lays so much at the feet of the lazy that it's kind of surprising. It's, It's actually considered more than just a sin It's an actual character flaw in the individual if you are lazy. Go through Proverbs and look at how harsh the book is against the lazy. The way of the sinner truly is hard. And I'll tell you what, to stand before the Lord with no advocate, with no atoning sacrifice, that's hard. That's the very definition of hard. What do you think you're going to do? You're just delaying that day and hoping it will work out somehow. But God has declared, He has given us His word, He has not remained silent, He has told us what is coming for us. No, unfortunately, we would rather choose the easy way in front of us 
Because we think, we prefer, we pretend that I'm choosing the better route when I choose that comfortable road. However, with that in mind, even with that in mind, Paul doesn't sugarcoat the reality of what he's asking, what he's calling Timothy to. He knows it's going to cost him. There's no way Paul can preach in any other direction. He knows the cost of discipleship. That's been explained to Timothy, not only in Paul's words, of course, but in Jesus' words, which are much stronger. That is, if, you, if anyone wishes to come after me, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. However, as I said, I'm talking to Christians. So we know it's worth the fight. We know it's worth getting our hands ready to to be willing to get into this fight, to not choose this easy road. But we have to consistently wash over our mind with truth to be reminded this was never positioned to, this was never propagated to us as an easy road. Don't get that in your head. Don't wash over your mind with truth. So where to the point where you can say with Paul that our present momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Like there's, there's no comparison here. Yes, I'm going to suffer now. I've got to wear the, the crown of thorns now, but I know there's a crown of glory coming. I know it's there. That's faith. It's the belief in that. We don't focus on that which is seen, but on the reality, the grand reality of the invisible God. So, in summing up this this suffering of hardship, the question really is this. In this way that you're choosing of laziness, is it worth the payout? Timothy is going back and forth. Which way should I go? And Paul tells him to suffer hardship with him, which at first sounds kind of rough, but then you start thinking of the alternative. Timothy, you go the other way, and then what? Where do you think you're going to go? Psalm 139. I can't ascend to heaven. You're there. I can't go to the grave. You're there. I can't get away. Or like Jonah, I might run for it, and then what? Where do you think you're going to go? Now that you've headed down this road, you know better than to just uh, you know, turn and run and think that's going to work out for you. So in this way, if you are choosing a lazy way, which many days I do, is it worth the payout? Paul actually is commanding Timothy here. He's not giving him a suggestion. Like I said, this might slip into the category of what we term today as toxic masculinity. He's commanding Timothy to suffer hardship. And I'm reminding you, seeking to, that throughout Scripture we are shown that you're just going to need to choose your heart. You're going to need to choose which road. None of these roads is easy. Ask any elderly person, is it easy getting old? Is it easy falling apart? i never forget when Henry Fleck told me one time he was really struggling, and I sat down on a golf cart with him and goes, oh, Brian, I'll tell you what, getting old isn't for wimps. And I said, actually, it is. Wimps got to get old too. And Henry, oh, you know, or whatever. But it is. You've got to go through that. There's no escaping this. Everybody hopes they're going to die in their sleep. How often does that work out? You never had a health problem and boom, gone. It just doesn't work that way. 
We're banking, we're hoping for an easy road, but I'm telling you, choose your heart. Decide if it's worth the payout. And here's the transition. There's some good news for you on the road. That is this. This isn't a solo mission. When he says to Timothy, suffer hardship, he doesn't say, deal with it in isolation. Go to solitary confinement and just, blech, you know, survive somehow. He says what? With me. You know what will brighten your day? Recognizing who's on your team. This is the Apostle Paul. How encouraged does Timothy have to be to be in league with that don't you want to be in league with the people of whom the world is not worthy? Not the goofy nonsense of today that the culture's risen up and made so loud? You know, be on the right side of history, whatever that garbage means? Is, is, where, where's your team? Who are they? We're not to suffer in isolation. This is anything but a Lone Ranger mission. But look around and see who's on your team. And God knows that it's not good for man to be alone, so he provides a helper. So who does he provide? Number one, who does he provide? The Holy Spirit. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Is that true or not? Amen. He hasn't left you alone. Don't act like you've been abandoned on the battlefield. That's garbage. He's given you the Holy Spirit. This is the kind of stuff I preach to myself, by the way. If I sound a little angry, that's why I am. Because I feel the nonsense that rises up in me and I fight that garbage. Because I'm not going to just snivel away and be a coward against the sin that wants to own me and silence me. Instead, God gives us not only the Holy Spirit, the awesome work of the Helper who will conform us into the image of Christ, but secondarily, He also gives us a great cloud of witnesses. Read Hebrews 11 when you need some, some battle speech, you know, to head into war. Remind yourself of who all is included in this cloud of witnesses. The saints that have gone before you. Paul, Timothy. You know how Timothy died? He went out and confronted an angry mob in Ephesus and they beat him to death. And Timothy didn't waver. He doesn't back down. He doesn't find a hole to hide in and cry away. Instead, he becomes strong, exactly like Paul exhorted him to be. He stayed there and he becomes a part of that cloud of witnesses that encourages us on who we know we will behold one day in glory. Thirdly, God gave you a helper, the Holy Spirit. He gave you the, the cloud of witnesses. And thirdly, he gave you the local body of Christ. Now, I could expand this out to the church universal, but right now, right here, this context, he gave you this church. For good, bad, and ugly, he gave you this church. You're here and you've got... Many people who are willing to run with you, who are trying to encourage you in the faith in this very weird time in which we find ourselves. We are not alone. So we must stop with any pity party nonsense that we allow to entertain in our brains and kill that stuff with truth. You're not alone. You've got a local church, you've got a grand, glorious army that has gone on before you in the faith. And you've got the living God inside of you. If you don't see how powerful that is, march through your Old Testament and consider the awesomeness of the temple and all that was 
pictured there. And then God says, I'm not doing it like that anymore. Now I've got, you might say, mobile units. And I will have my spirit dwell in you, not in the temple. What an awesome thing it is to know that grand truth. That God didn't leave us abandoned on foreign soil. Don't act like you've been left alone and unsupported in the field. Don't act like you can't stand strong in the faith that has once for all been handed down to us. Don't give yourself excuses. Because this isn't just one battle we're fighting. This isn't just, you don't just need to survive one fight. This is a full-scale war, and you've got to get your mind right in order to survive a war. I don't know how many of you have seen Band of Brothers. I'm not endorsing it per se, but I thought it was an excellent series. Uh, But there was a time after the the Easy Company passed through D-Day, and they went through all the craziness of that. They they get to uh, the woods of Germany, basically, and they're getting bombarded, shelled throughout the winter. And there's one character in the show, real man, who got shell-shocked. After passing through D-Day and everything else this man went through, he gets shell-shocked years into the fight. Year into the fight. Because it just overwhelmed him at a time that he didn't see coming. That's real. You get battle fatigue. That happens. And that's where Timothy, our brother in Christ, is at at this point. He's got some battle fatigue. He's worn out. He doesn't know if it's worth the fight. So Paul's helping him steal his mind to get his mind right as he seeks to march on and march forward. Because Timothy is a good soldier. And those are rare. Going back to our text, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Key word here being good. Any goober could be a soldier. I've known plenty of enlisted guys. Some of them weren't exactly, you know, sharpest knife in the drawer. I've known plenty of enlisted men and talked to them, and they'll talk about how many goofballs there are, how many guys who aren't really trying. They're just there to try to get a paycheck or something like that. They're not really a good soldier. We know that. So Paul doesn't just call him a soldier. He says... You need to be a good soldier. A good soldier here has certain things that he's going to do. One of those, as we see here, is this. He says, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. This, by the way, not being entangled, doesn't mean that the, the good soldier is to be oblivious or clueless or ignorant of what's going on in the news and around him. This does mean he is not preoccupied, engrossed, or immersed in it. It doesn't take over his mindset and invade his mind and freeze his heart. A soldier on active duty doesn't allow the news or the current administration's policy to distract him from the specific orders he has been given. Another war movie, 1917. Beautiful movie. But there's a soldier in there. Hopefully, uh, it's been out for years, but whatever. Anyway, I won't ruin it. 
But anyway, there's a spot in there where there's shells. The two armies are trying to destroy each other, England and Germany. And you see the shelling and all, and these guys are marching the field. And our guy has to run right through the battle line as everybody's marching in the other direction to go where he needs to go. It would be easy to be distracted by that, but we see the focus of the determined soldier. I need to get there. It doesn't matter what's going on around me. I need to get to my destination to perform my job, not deal with all the other things I have no control over. I have orders. I need to follow them. What are some distractions that a soldier, let's say, in an Afghan airport right now might be facing? Right now, they have become aware of the reality that over $85 billion worth of United States military equipment has fallen into the hands of the Taliban. Fascinating. We are coming up on the 20-year anniversary of 9-11, and we have just given them more money and more power than they ever dreamed of. In a matter of days, the whole thing has been flipped on its head in the craziest irony. Who saw that coming? Greatest military in the world, like we like to say all the time, and look how humbled we should be. Like that, the whole thing changes. $85 billion worth of military equipment. Over 75,000 military vehicles have been confiscated by the Taliban. And it keeps, going. it keeps getting worse. Over 200 um, airplanes and helicopters they have now. They have more Black Hawk helicopters than 85% of countries in the world. The Taliban. Worse than that, they now have the retinal scans and they have the biometric information on those who have been helping us in Afghanistan for the last 20 years. What? And we have given a list of people that are helping us in Afghanistan for the last 20 years. We turned it over to the Taliban so they could make sure they're safe in getting to the airport. Unreal. Why do I bring all that up? I bring it up very simply. Pretend you're a soldier over in Afghanistan right now. Over 12, 13 men, fellow soldiers, died because of this kind of garbage. And it's going to get worse. What is your mission, soldier? Is it to worry about what Biden's doing? Is it to worry about what's going on here, there, and everywhere? Is it even to worry that they now have tanks? No. Your mission, given to you by your commanding officer, is your job. Not everyone else's job. Stay focused, is the point. Stay on the job. It's not your job as that soldier on the ground in Afghanistan trying to protect people there in that airport. It is not your job to critique the Biden administration right now. It's your job to keep people safe. It's your job to get the people on the plane. Christian, have you gotten so enmeshed, so engrossed in this stuff that I just mentioned that you're not on your mission? The news is a fantastic distraction. And getting us off of mission. Of course, it has afflicted me. That's why I'm quoting that. 
Of course I know about these. Of course I know about COVID stuff and mass mandates and all that. Of course I know all that stuff. Just like you do. You've been looking into these things. But I cannot allow that stuff to so engross me in it, to distract me from what I need to do. Are you concerned with being strong in the grace of Jesus Christ? Primarily. Are you making it the priority to glory in Jesus Christ? Are you making it the priority to find joy in life in the midst of trial? Or are you worried about the news? The things you can't control? What voice do you have in our representative government? Be real. This is Illinois. You know, how much voice do you have? Come on. Instead, I find that so many of us, myself included, get distracted with things that are not in our purview. They're not our department. The CDC just came out with a thing here in the last couple days that's telling us uh, what our preferred pronoun usage should be and what kind of language we should be using. What has that got to do with the center of disease control? Nothing. What are they talking about pronouns for? It's got nothing to do with it. They're off their mission. And by the way, that wildly undercuts their authority. What are you doing? Why are you in that? Why are you messing around with that? Christian, you know what wildly undercuts your authority? When you start getting in all the nonsense the world is into, instead of making Jesus Christ great in your life, Can you tell I've been hitting myself with some truth? 1 Peter chapter 1. If you would turn there with me for just a moment. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13. One of my favorite spots in scripture honestly. Peter here in similar imagery says this. Therefore... Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Prepare your minds for action. Actually, literally, is gird up the loins of your mind. That's a little bit more graphic. What he's talking about here is a Roman soldier who had those robes that are going down and he had a belt up here and that robe would be in the way of his fighting. You don't want to go to war in a long enough skirt to trip on. So you hike that up and you get it in the belt so you're ready to fight. If you notice when you watch a, a boxer or you watch a UFC fighter or something like that, they're not wearing all kinds of clothes. Generally, they're wearing minimal. Look at a marathon runner. They're not trying to wear lots and lots of clothes, obviously. They're trying to not get entangled, encumbered by these things. Prepare your minds for action. Recognize you're in a fight. Stop playing games with this stuff. And keep sober. Stay in control of yourself. Don't let your passions overwhelm and, and pull you in any given direction. And then he says this, mentioning, like I said, stay focused. He says this now. Fix your hope completely. Fix your hope perfectly on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. There is your hope. Not a new president. There's your hope. Not some changing of 
the guard, but instead the coming of your Savior. Fix your hope completely on that and stop getting distracted. Going back to 2 Timothy 2, verse 4 now, he says, after saying no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, why? So that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Here's a question for you. If you're trying to provoke, if you're trying to, to get Timothy stirred up, you might say, like an actor would, what's my motivation? You know? But why is it that I'm doing this? Great question. That's why I think he throws in a the little phrase here, so that. Verse 4. So that, in the middle of that verse, he says, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So that here is, when he says so that, it's a purpose statement there. This is why this is happening. Here's your application. We love application, so here it is. So that he may please the one. I'm going to stop with that. So that he may please the one. Who is your audience? Whose applause do you want? Be honest. Many of us just want the applause of our family. We, we want them to agree with us. Many of us want applause out in the social media world. Many people want applause in all kinds of different arenas. I think it's fascinating that our leaders now, they take polls before they decide on basically any policy decision they're making. Is that leadership? What? I mean, this isn't Democrat or Republican. This is what they all do. They do polls. What do people want? Let's give them that. Who's your audience? I'm so glad to be free from that personally. To be free to know that I have an audience. I got one audience. That audience governs everything else. And as I preach, as I teach, and I, I go to that audience and try to please him with that, then some people agree with me and some people are going to absolutely hate me. Martin Luther said that the, the way you should preach is so that if somebody doesn't agree with you, if they can't amen you, they will hate you. I agree with that. Preach in such a way so there's no doubt. Live in such a way that there's no doubt. I have one audience. And i got to keep going back to that audience all the time. Reminding myself of what is true. Because he's the one who enlisted me. It's the next part of this verse. I'm trying to please the one who enlisted me. An enlisted man knows that he's no longer really his own. Uh, certainly not a Roman soldier. He is held and directed by the military now. I had a friend years ago, he and his wife were both enlisting at the same time, and they already had a kid, and uh, they were given certain promises as to what was going to happen. They would never be shipped off and all that kind of stuff. Both of them, as soon as they signed on the papers and started getting down the road, they found out that ain't true. You're getting shipped off, and you're going to get shipped off, and that's life. And they were like, can we get out of this immediately? An enlisted soldier knows that his choices are barely under his control now. I mean, they kind of are, but you get court-martialed for that. A uh, Roman soldier, of course, doesn't get court-martialed. You get your head cut off. So, a, an enlisted soldier here knows he signed a contract and gave up those rights. And for all real intents and purposes, the military now owns you. We have a very similar truth in Scripture. 
Uh, my life is not my own, Galatians 2.20. I was bought with a price, 1 Corinthians. I was bought with the, the lamb's blood, the price, priceless, precious blood of the lamb, 1 Peter. So again, as I said earlier, stop giving yourself an out. Stop giving yourself an excuse as to why you can't go in a hard direction and choose righteousness day by day. Get up in the morning and study your Bible, something like that. Stop giving yourself an exemption. Decide you don't have a choice. And when you decide you don't have a choice, it's amazing what you can get done. I was in the woods 20 years ago in Canada, and I had a canoe on my back, and I had back spasms. Never had anything like that. I was in the prime of my physical strength, and I had never had something like this happen. It felt like someone was stabbing me in the back. It was awful. And I, I always thought athletes were being weird when they whined about back spasms. And then I had them. I was like, well, that's serious. First time I had it, I was walking along with this canoe that weighed about 100 pounds, and I chucked it through the air when it happened because it was, felt like I got stabbed. But we still had to go several more miles. And no one else was going to carry the canoe. There was no option. So I got it done because I didn't have a choice. And how often do we just give ourselves and out. Even with the simple things that I said earlier. Flossing. <laughs> you know, eating right. Exercise. Things that I should be doing. I give myself. Oh, I can't. We do this all the time. And it's so deadly when it comes down to the spiritual matters of life. To give yourself excuses as to why you're not seeking to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So... Now, after he speaks of pleasing the one who enlisted him, he says, who enlisted him as what? A soldier. This isn't a game. You're a soldier now. We've all seen that movie, or at least there's one image that's burned in my brain from World War I of a, two soldiers, two British soldiers down in a uh, trench. And the one, this, this looks like a boy, 17-year-old boy or something like that, down there in the trench, and there's a commanding officer grabbing him by the face, and the kid is bawling, just falling apart, and the guy's yelling in his face, trying to get his attention, telling him something like, get your head in the game, or you're going to die. Quit playing around. Wake up, soldier. And no one with a clear-eyed view of Christianity ever thought this road was supposed to be for the lazy, for the apathetic, or for the inattentive. Wake up. Now then, since we have a realistic picture painted for us of what to expect, and we have an explanation of what our mentality needs to be, and we have a clear view of who our audience is, and, fourthly, we know the one we're trying to please, stand firm. Stand firm together. We, Southern View Chapel, saints of God, stand firm together and encourage one another with such words. Provoke one another on to love and good deeds. Don't be okay with staying where you are spiritually. Don't be satisfied with that. Be strong. Recognize the fight we are in. And remember that without Christ we can do nothing. So we, of course, can turn to 
in our minds at least that great hymn, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Father, help us to be strong as you would have us be. Help us to walk in the truth and to not be wearied by the world, but, Lord, to shine like stars stars in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation that would love to overwhelm us. Father, we are your children. May we stand as good soldiers in the truth and walk as we ought, marching together for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.